Hello, this is Father Toby, and you're listening to Radio Maria England. Um, and if you've been listening, you know that we just had a Mass celebrated for us by Bishop Peter Collins, which was a great joy. And I'm not going to uh, try and out-preach the, uh, the bishop, um, he having just preached so well on today's Gospel. So I thought I would preach on uh, St. Thomas, the, the reading, one of the readings from the uh, Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, which we celebrated on Saturday, obviously, that great Dominican saint, but also a great gift to the whole church. Um, and uh, somebody who every single seminarian is supposed to study in their preparation for ordination. And so we begin with the reading uh, from Saturday from the Book of Wisdom. I prayed and understanding was given me. I entreated and the spirit of wisdom came to me. I esteemed her more than scepters and thrones. Compared with her, I held riches as nothing. I reckoned no priceless stone to be her peer. For compared with her, all gold is a pinch of sand, and beside her silver ranks as mud. I loved her more than health or beauty, preferred her to the light, since her radiance never sleeps. May God grant me to speak as he would wish, and express thoughts worthy of his gifts, since he himself is the guide of wisdom, since he directs the sages. We are indeed in his hand, we ourselves and our words, with all our understanding too, and technical knowledge. You may have heard the saying that knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put them in a fruit salad. I think it rather amusingly makes the point that knowledge and wisdom are very much not the same thing. But I think we live in a world that values knowledge more than wisdom, and that confuses knowing lots of facts with being wise, or of knowing one type of cause about a thing with knowing everything. And it's strange that almost the entirety of human knowledge is available to us at any time, sitting there accessible on our phones in our pockets. And what do we watch? We watch YouTube shorts and TikTok and get angry on Twitter. That doesn't seem like wisdom. A person can know many things without being wise, can have read many Wikipedia entries without being wise. Wisdom only comes when a person starts to see the relation between the things they know. I say wisdom comes because wisdom is first and foremost a gift of God, an insight into the divine mind who created all things in their proper order and relation. So wisdom is properly a gift because we can have no insight into the mind of God if he had not first given it us. So wisdom is not something we can gain for ourselves because if we don't see things as they relate to God and if he hasn't revealed them to us first, then we won't see them as they really are. But we need to be wise to see the bigger picture to choose well, to live well, and to live the Beatitudes that we heard of in Sunday's Gospel only becomes possible if we are wise and see the bigger picture. Because if we're only looking at the short term, then the Beatitudes seem like a manifesto for misery. But if you're wise, 
you'll see that they're a blueprint for divine living. St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the wisest men ever to live, was not principally wise because he was clever, although his wisdom added to his intelligence. Aquinas was wise first and foremost because he was humble and a man of prayer. In the church where I live, if you look at the beautiful altar dedicated to St. Thomas Aquinas, at the bottom you will see a depiction of one of the most famous scenes from his life. In prayer before the cross, Aquinas heard the Lord say to him, You have written well of me, Thomas. What do you desire? And in perhaps the wisest and also boldest response possible to such a question, Aquinas asked for the greatest thing that he could possibly have asked for. He said, Nothing except you, O Lord. Aquinas spent much of his life in prayer in front of the cross, and he wrote that, If someone considers with pious intention the fittingness of the suffering and death of Christ, he will discover such a depth of wisdom that something more and greater will occur to him any time he thinks about it. In other words, Aquinas thought prayer before the cross was an inexhaustible treasure trove of wisdom. But some look at the cross and see only death and suffering. Some look at the cross and see an angry God perversely assuaging his angry bloodlust on his innocent son. Aquinas looked at the cross and saw many things, but he didn't see principally that. He didn't see an angry, vengeful God. And this was because he was wise enough not to ascribe our base motives to God, to God. And also because, like all wise people, he asked questions. Good questions. And as anyone who has read his works, especially the Summa Theological, will know, not only good questions, but many, 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 many of them. And one question we might ask when we look at the cross is, why did Jesus have to die? And when we ask that question, we start to go down the path normally of saying that God sent his son to die. But another side to that question is, why did the powers that be kill Jesus? What was it about the way that he lived that made people want to kill him? And that, to me, is the more interesting question. When we do ask that question, we can say that God sent his son to live among us but that certain people killed him because of the way that he lived. The reality of living according to the kingdom of God in a fallen world is friction on the best of the days and outright opposition on the others. One Dominican, Father Herbert McCabe, once wrote, If you love, they'll kill you. But if you don't love, then you're dead already. Jesus did not desire the cross. Gethsemane makes that quite clear. But the threat of death and suffering would not see him abandon his identity and his calling, would not see him cease to love or preach the truth. And love and truth are so intimately linked. It was not possible for Jesus to love and then to deny the truth about himself. And the truth about himself angered others. Aquinas asks, in what seems like one of his stranger questions, 
given that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, would it have been more fitting for him to be slaughtered and burned like the animals in the temple, rather than executed like a criminal on the cross? And Aquinas first points out, perhaps a little unconvincingly to our rather wooden modern minds, if you pardon the pun, that the cross, like a fire, involved wood. But then he makes a striking and beautiful observation. He says, Instead of material fire, there was the spiritual fire of love in Christ's burnt offering. What Aquinas realizes is that at the heart of Jesus' sacrifice is not his death, not a father's death wish, not a father's vengeance or anger, but the love of Christ, a love even unto death. That's what St. Catherine of Siena, another doctor of the church, this time with much less formal education, saw when she looked at the cross, the wisdom of the cross having been revealed to her in intimate union in prayer with Christ. She said when she looked at the cross that it was not the nails that held him there, but love. This sacrifice of love of Christ on the cross returns to God what is rightly owed to God by human beings, but which we had failed and could no longer give. Namely, that is, complete self-gift and obedience. It is Jesus' love for the one he calls Father, and his desire that his Father's will be done in him as it is in heaven, that is offered up on the cross. The offering of the cross is simply the continuation of what he offered to God throughout his whole life, and what we are called to offer as well. Unconditional commitment to the cause of God's kingdom. Complete openness to God, trust in the power of divine love, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. We might ask ourselves, have any of those motivations impacted the way I have lived this day. It tells us something perhaps about what we've made of this world, that such an offering of love, such a complete gift of self, such fidelity to the divine will, would inevitably culminate in crucifixion, an inevitability born entirely of human rejection of divine love. So I think the question that each of us has to answer in a fallen world is not so much, will I suffer? Because the answer is you will, whether you're rich or poor, healthy or sick, suffering will come your way. The question is, what will I voluntarily suffer for? For things which in the eternal scheme of things are not important, Will I suffer for new objects, for new clothes, for my good reputation? Or will I suffer for the sake of love? Because suffering, especially voluntary suffering, is the cauldron of character and its revealer. And what we suffer for reveals what we love.
Tout le monde. 